Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. They were there on the front lines and sometimes even just at a military exercise, which is what we saw at the end of last week when we had the wreckage of an Air Force Osprey crashed off the coast of Japan, and there were crew members who have still been unaccounted for, and that's according to the latest update that I could get from the military. Air Force Special Operations Command said in a statement that one set of remains has been recovered, and the other airmen on the Osprey were duty status whereabouts unknown, which is the term that's used by the military when the status of a missing service member including those lost at sea, cannot be confirmed. There were plenty of search and rescue efforts going on, including the Japanese government, which had sent their Coast Guard out. And apparently they are still still in the process. Uh, the one deceased airman who was identified early this week was Staff Sergeant Jacob Gallagher, a native of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, we saw, or at least I saw a press release from his congressman, Representative Richard Neal. Um, it said, Staff Sergeant Gallagher represented our nation's best, enlisting in the Air Force right out of high school and committing himself to serving his country. And so, of course, our thoughts and our prayers go out to all of the families, to the Jacobs family, friends, and community, and the other crew members of the Osprey. The Pacific Air Force's U.S. Pacific Fleet, um, this was the Special Operations Command, Pacific, the 353rd Special Operations Wing, and the 18th Wing out of Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, as well as the 1st Special Forces Group, all who were contributing their time and efforts to the search, along with the Japanese Coast Guard, fishermen in the area, and um, it's just heartbreaking to me when a training mission results in eight, there were eight airmen on that Osprey. Sabrina Singh, a Pentagon spokeswoman, said that the Air Force unit that owned the Osprey had grounded its other Ospreys and additional inspections of the U.S. military's aircraft based in Japan are underway. I had a friend who was there for two years at that very base, and I'm sure I should probably give her a call a little later on. She's back stateside now, but I'm sure that there is a, there's a lot of heartbreak in and around such an accident that, that costs, costs lives in that way. You know, I, I was listening to some program in my car because I have the um, serious... XM radio, my husband 
had that put into my car. And occasionally, if I if I'm in the mood, which is not always, <laughs> I'll put on the news stations, and I'll I'll flip it around to the uh, Fox News, the Fox Business News, and then CNN or Headline, some some other news station, and just get the updates of what's going on. And I believe, yeah, it must have been Fox that I was listening to. There, the panel was talking about how the Israeli military has finally released a 42-minute 40, videotape that the Hamas terrorists had filmed with their GoPro cameras. Now, I, my presumption is that it was multiple videotapes, and then they put together one videotape that they would then share with members of the Knesset. That was done weeks ago. Members of the uh, the press in Israel, that was done weeks ago. But apparently, when you watch the testimony that I saw in the House from those college presidents uh, from Harvard and MIT, and when you saw that, you knew that there apparently is a big disconnect between what actually happened and what the press has told us happened or what the press itself has even seen. So Dagan, one of the uh, people who was on this panel, said that she had seen the uh, videotape yesterday and another person on the panel as well. I don't remember who it was or I didn't recognize the voice. Uh, they had also seen it. And it was pretty amazing to me that so many people have the wrong picture. You know, they're all busy worrying about the loss of life that's taking place now in a war effort and comparing it somehow, which is mind-boggling to me, comparing it to a terrorist attack. It's not the same. They declared war. Now a war is going on. And what ends up happening, even to civilians in a war, is always nightmarish. But it is not the same as an attack against civilians. In any case, what she ended up saying was that they, that the only way she could describe what she had seen was it was pure, unmitigated hell. And that only demons could have done it. And I, you know, I've been saying that from the very start. To try and wrap your mind around the capture, the murder, the rape of women and children, innocent civilians, is very difficult for people who have any humanity at all. You don't have to be, you know, a big bleeding heart to just find it reprehensible. And so this uh, Dagan McDowell, whatever, I think that's her last name, she said it was, it was so disgusting and that, like me, she thinks it should be released and that everybody should be allowed the opportunity to see it. I mean, nobody should be forced to see it. Things like that are very disturbing. You know, I'll never be able to shake the image of, you know, the beheading of Daniel Pearl, but I had to watch it as my... Uh, GM at the time, the um, program director at the time, said to me, how can you talk about something 
if you don't know what you're talking about. And I know it's going to be hard, he said, but you need to watch it. And so I did. And it was, it was brutal. And it still, to this day, torments me. There are times when I can't, you know, I can't close my eyes. I'm going to sleep and, and I see those images. So I can imagine what could GoPro footage of babies being torn out of their mother's arms and, and then their mothers being killed raped and killed and and young women being raped and it's all being videotaped and and you know setting houses on fire setting a crib on fire with a baby in it i mean this is beyond any kind of human understanding but i think it's important that enough people are shown this so that when you hear a college president sit there and say they're not really sure if tearing down the posters of those hostages that we can only pray are still alive. I mean, my assumption is that many of them are not still alive. And many of them have probably been subjected to unbelievable levels of violence and torture if they are still alive. And they'll never be the same. Their families will never be the same. But in the meantime, if I hear one more word about the genocide that's being perpetrated in Gaza, I'm going to really sort of insist that more people be shown that video so that they understand. And definitely show it to those three college uh, presidents. Claudine Gay should have to sit through it. I'm sure she, her sensitive stomach won't tolerate it, but imagine Elise Stefanik, the representative from New York, said to these college presidents, do you consider it harassment or bullying if Jewish students on your campus are being told that, uh, that there should be genocide, mass genocide of Jews? And they couldn't answer. They said, depends on the context. Like, I'm still trying to figure out under what context, in which context, is that acceptable? Because I can't think of any. And neither could these college presidents, but it's okay. They're learning some very hard lessons in a very difficult way. $100 million was withdrawn from a donor to the University of Pennsylvania. It's a lot of money. And a lot of donors who are not quite as big as $100 million are withdrawing the money that they would normally give to those colleges, these esteemed elite universities that have these huge endowments thanks to these benefactors. And now these benefactors, many of whom are either sympathetic to the Jewish people and the cause or Jews themselves. And they said no more. You know, if you can't, if you can't say without any hesitation that what happened on October 7th was a crime against humanity, then you can't, have, you can't have any funds from people who understand how sick you are. These are the same colleges, if you hear my thought of the day, these are the same colleges that make sure that if a professor uses the wrong pronouns and upsets somebody who wants to be referred to as them, they, or they could be fired. You know, these are the same colleges where they have to have safe spaces for LGBT community members, but Jewish kids, you know, can be basically told that uh, their lives are worthless. And that's not considered bullying.
Can't make this stuff up. You really can't. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you could hear all of the uh, storm alerts. That's important. Even though the weather's been kind of nice the last couple of days, you know we have plenty of those alerts and they go right out on your app. You can also hear all our podcasts. You can participate in all our contests, including a $50 gift for King. So it's worth having the app. But if you choose not to, check out the website at least a couple of times a week. It's 850WFTL.com. Let me take a quick break. I will be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. So uh, there were some pretty important legal news stories over the last couple of, well, at least the last 24 hours. You had an appellate court that uh, literally upheld a gag order against uh, President Trump, but it, they, they altered it. And uh, they they declared that he doesn't have an unlimited right to speak, but they limited the scope of the gag order. They just kept the key provisions in place. And then, of course, California handed down an indictment against Hunter Biden. Like, how long was that in coming? You have to scratch your head. If it had been anybody else... It certainly would have not taken this long to have indictments. But that's okay. He, he's been indicted before. He's now indicted with new federal tax charges. What's really shameful about it is, you know, the left and, and Democrats in particular, they're always saying that, you know, rich people don't pay enough taxes. Rich people can afford to pay more in taxes. I've heard that line my whole life. So when I hear about a rich person, and let's face it, Hunter Biden was making really big bucks. According to these new charges, which are three felonies and six misdemeanors, and that's in addition to his federal firearms charging, because drug users are not allowed to have guns, the, the millions of dollars, this is what it says in, this, in the text, Hunter Biden spent millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle rather than paying his tax bills. That's what the special counsel, David Weiss, said in his statement. We're talking $1.4 million in taxes that Hunter Biden owed during a three-year period. I think it was 2016 to 2019, the same period that we know he was struggling with addiction and all the rest of it. And I believe that those taxes have since been paid. But he could get 17 years in prison if he were to be convicted. Now, his defense attorney, Abby Lowell, accused David Weiss of bowing to Republican pressure in the case. Based on the facts and the law, if Hunter's last name was anything other than Biden, 
the charges in Delaware and now California would not have been brought. Wow. Kind of sounds like if his name was anything other than Trump, there are plenty of charges, including those document charges that this current president did the same thing and he wasn't even president when he took documents and secreted them in a garage with his Corvette. But if his name wasn't Trump, he would go the same route as Joe Biden and not be charged. Now, so far, I haven't heard anything, no comments coming out of the White House. Now, I did not watch today's press conference. I don't know if Karine Jean-Pierre is going to hold a press conference or did or whether anybody besides Peter Ducey might want to ask a question about the charging documents, which were filed in California, which is where he lives. And apparently, there's a great deal of detail. I was hoping that Derek was going to be on today because I'm sure he's uh, read through these documents, but his uh, daughter, my granddaughter Nixie, is performing this afternoon so he won't be on the show. Maybe we'll bring him on next week earlier. The charging documents filed in California where he lives detail spending on drugs, strippers, luxury hotels, and exotic cars. In short, this guy spent money on everything except his taxes. And now there's the rumblings about an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, because of course the Republicans are arguing that he was engaged in an influence peddling scheme with this son. And the House is going to be voting formally on that next week, whether to formally authorize the inquiry. Now, even in these charging indictments, and I did not pour through them, but I read um, summaries of them, there is nothing so far that I can see that mentions Joe Biden, not Joe Biden dad, not Joe Biden vice president, not Joe Biden president, none of that. Um, so to say that because his son is a real lowlife, that he is also a real lowlife is, you can't do that. You, got, you have to be able to prove that. Um, and look, I don't think anybody in their right mind, even liberals, don't wonder about the ethics surrounding the Biden and their international businesses and all of the supposed access that foreign countries and companies in foreign countries were afforded through Hunter Biden's business deals. I mean, he wasn't selling his own uh, importance. He wasn't selling his name even though his name is Biden, he was selling his father. Now, this criminal investigation into Hunter Biden was supposed to end with that plea deal where he was going to get, I guess, I can't even remember anymore, because he, he was going to plead guilty to the misdemeanor tax charges. He wasn't going to get prosecuted on the gun charge as long as he you know, stayed out of trouble. And he was going to do two years of probation. And then, of course, that didn't come to pass because the judge said, wait a minute, uh, th I don't think that this is sufficient. And I, I want more of an explanation about why you've come to such a deal. Now, the three federal gun charges that were filed in Delaware say that he lied about his drug use to buy a gun. 
a gun that he only had for 11 days, which is, that's odd to me. Federal law, of course, bans you owning a gun if you're a habitual gun user. And that's hard to make that charge stand. It's generally within the context of other charges. But he was not just reputed, he admitted to having a substance abuse problem that got just dreadfully worse when his brother Bo died in 2015. I mean, he wrote a memoir, Beautiful Things, which ends with him explaining how he got clean and sober in 2019. But when you look at some of these numbers, the hypocrisy of these people is what kills me. His gross income was somewhere between seven and eight million dollars between 2016 and 2020. Uh, you know, he had the job on the uh, Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. He had a private equity fund in China. He had a law, f- you know, he had a position as a lawyer in a law firm. And then in 2020, he's battling in a child support case over a child that they still don't hang a Christmas stocking with her name on it in the White House. These people are sick, right? And uh, during that period of time, his back taxes suddenly got paid by a third party. That's what it says in the court documents. You got anybody who could pay $1.4 million for you in unpaid back taxes? Man, you got some... Hunter has some really good friends or family members, or he again was trading on his father's name. Can't make this stuff up. Now, the Republicans are demanding that he do a closed door deposition in the next, I guess, within the next two weeks was, was my understanding. They, the, his attorneys say, oh, it's a fishing expedition. He's now using all the terms that Donald Trump uses. His legal team is uh, getting pretty bold now. And we'll see. Republicans are going to pursue this impeachment inquiry, I believe, and they're going to try to tie the president to, to Hunter Biden's business dealings. So uh, the, the, the beat goes on. More is yet to be revealed. Anyway, as I said, Derek won't be coming on, but I still have two segments left. So don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. Yeah, so all I can tell you is the um, the pretty good news for people who are concerned that it wouldn't be fair, you know, poor Hunter Biden is going to have to face the music. He's really going to have to face a Trump-appointed judge. Judge Mark Scarcy happens to be a Donald Trump appointee, and he's been assigned the case uh, where which alleges, anyway, that Hunter was involved in a four-year, $1.4 million tax evasion scheme. All nine charges relate to tax, including two felony charges for filing a false return, a felony charge for tax evasion, four failure to pay charges, and a further two charges for failure to file. I would strongly suggest that uh, Hunter Biden call Optima Tax Relief like sooner rather than later. But that's just me. Um, I was also listening to an interesting conversation 
that I believe Megyn Kelly was having with someone on a one of these uh, serious patriot uh, radio stations where she has a, a podcast. Or I guess it's not even a podcast anymore. It's just an alternative to regular terrestrial radio. But she was saying that no matter how many times Donald Trump says that, you know, he, he meant to say Barack Obama, I mean, he meant to say Joe Biden when he said Barack Obama or whatever, that he meant it, it wasn't a mistake. She said, you know what, when you're 77 years old now, and I'm, you know, not that far, <laughs> um, I'm 70 now, and you do start to have little lapses, if not really profound ones like Joe Biden has all the time, you have little ones and, and you can, if you're sharp enough, like Trump is sharp enough, you can tap dance your way out of them. But that's a pretty, you know, you, anybody can have a slip of the tongue, but when it happens more than once, you you have to pay attention. You know, I think Trump said that, the, that, that somebody was gonna get us into World War II, he's confused countries and he's confused cities names and as Megyn Kelly said with all due respect this is what happens when you're 77 years old and then she went on to say you know Donald Trump seems virtually inhuman to most of us but he's not he's just a man I think that Ron DeSantis's best line in the last debate was when he said father time spares no one and that's the truth. So you got these two very uh, older gentlemen. And obviously, Donald Trump is in considerably better mental uh, shape than Joe Biden is. But is it good enough to lead the United States of America? Are we really all going to pretend that he's as sharp as he was, Donald Trump's as sharp as he was in 2016, or even that Joe Biden is as sharp as he was at the beginning of his term, because I don't think you can make that case in either one of those cases. And even if he is reportedly saying Obama when he means Biden and then boasting about leading Obama in the polls, these misstatements begin to add up. And you can say that you're using sarcasm, but I don't know. I'm not buying it. Because he doesn't forget Ron DeSanctimonious's name. He doesn't confuse that one. Or uh, Nikki Haley or anyone else. Which, by the way, you notice how it's all about Nikki Haley right after the debate. I mean, that's all I heard. And then here we are two days later. It's already not, not even a story. It's crazy. Um, and, and I keep thinking, we have no idea what would actually happen if, let's say, Donald Trump gets sent to, to jail during one of these trials. I mean, this country will be thrown into the worst possible disaster that I can think of. I'm certainly not going to just sit here and accept that. Never before have we been asked to accept that. 
Now, I understand that he's a controversial guy, and I understand that in many ways he walks into these situations. But that's not the same as really trying to imprison a former president before election day when he is the leading candidate. That, you know, I think Megyn Kelly also said that the country will burn if that happens. Now, I don't know that the country will burn, but I do think that it will be, there will be violence and there will be a significant amount of protest that takes place because I can see just how much protest is already starting to take place just regarding these uh, court trials that are going on. You know, trials against his business. People get frustrated when they see you can go after an individual because you don't agree with them politically and you can upend a political campaign the way they've done and then accuse him of you know, not having been a legitimate businessman. If I hear one more time, well, his property's not worth that much. These people have no idea how to build anything, how to create a company that generates that kind of wealth. None of them do. Most of them, well, except Vivek Ramaswamy. None of these people ever started anything. They've all been on the public's payroll almost their whole lives. Certainly some of them, their whole lives. Whether you're a, a senator, a congressman, a governor, the taxpayer signs your paycheck. You didn't build anything. Wasn't it Barack Obama who said, you didn't build anything, we built that. Well, guess what? In the case of these politicians, that's true. We built it. We pay them. And that's... Uh, something that should be considered. Now, there were good job numbers today. As a matter of fact, these are some of the best job numbers I've seen in a very long time. And wages apparently are up in November. The inflation numbers are down. That's all pretty good. But you couldn't tell by looking at the way workers are just gathering together. They're rising up against the world's richest people and these big corporations. And of course, it's always going to be Elon Musk that gets the big headline. CNBC said, Musk's Scandinavian woes deepen as Tesla loses Swedish court case and a Finnish union joins the port blockade. So there's, there's a, a lot going on. The public apparently does not appreciate or certainly doesn't seem to be feeling this great jobs number or this great economy that they keep telling us exists. It's hard to have a great economy that the average American hasn't noticed, but that's what we're being asked to believe. Anyway, don't forget coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and Lars Larson, and then it will officially be the weekend. And you can wait until Monday morning at 6 a.m. when Jen and Bill come back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino. I'm going to have Brian Kilmeade on my show next week because I just finished reading this book about Booker T. It's actually quite fascinating. He does write great books. I don't know when these guys have time. He's on television every time I turn around or on the radio, but apparently he can also still write books. Makes me feel very lazy. Anyway, stay right where you are. I have one more segment left today. Well, I'll tell you, I'm really glad it's the weekend. My prayer partner this morning said, I can't wait till four o'clock because that's when she would get off today. Me too.
because it's been, it seems to me that it's been an extremely long week. Maybe because some of the other weeks, you know, you had Thanksgiving, you had a couple of days off and you had, I don't know, it just feels like we've only had four day weeks in October, November and December that I was aware of. And now, you know, these five day weeks, just hard, hard, hard to, to hang in there. But we're glad we have jobs, right? There's plenty of people out there who wish that they had some jobs. Apparently, there was also an arrest in Atlanta. I think this is a strange story. They arrested a woman on Thursday after she tried to burn down Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth home. She literally was splashing gasoline on it and then setting it on fire. And how, how does somebody even get that close to a place that's historic in that manner? I mean, really? They don't have ring cameras? You can't get that close to my church. How come you can get that close to a place like the birthplace of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King? Kind of strange, but I did read that story this week. Uh, Lanisha Chantrice Henderson, age 26, was charged with criminal attempt to commit arson and criminal attempt to damage government property. She could also reportedly face federal charges in connection with the incident. Like, what would motivate anyone to do that? Lanisha Chantrice Henderson uh, looking at her picture, doesn't look like the kind of person who would have anything against Dr. Martin Luther King. But I guess people are just all going crazy. That's what it is. And when I hear people screaming, oh, Donald Trump's going to be a dictator, I say to myself, like, people are just out of control. They believe terrible things, and they operate under these false illusions. Like, what kind of college president doesn't see calling for the death of Israel and the death of Jews as a problem. Apparently, the presidents of University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, and MIT. And that's, that's pretty, pretty scary to me. So we also had one last story that I wanted to cover. It's, there's still a lot of information that hasn't been uncovered or it hasn't been reported yet. But Apparently, the FBI, once again, has violated the U.S. Constitution. It seized $86 million from safe deposit boxes. That's a lot of money. Well, apparently, it was cash and jewelry during a raid on a California safe deposit company that, at one point in time, had been accused of money laundering. So the question for the panel of judges from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is, did they violate the Constitution when they seized 1,400 safe deposit boxes from a company called U.S. Private Vaults, which is in Beverly Hills? I didn't even know there was such thing as privately owned. Did you? Privately owned safety deposit boxes? I thought you had to be in a bank for that. So while court docu documents describe the company 
as one that was regularly used by unsavory characters to store criminal proceeds, none of the hundreds of customers whose life savings were suddenly in the hands of the FBI have even been accused of any crimes. So the senior attorney, uh, some Rob Johnson for the Institute for Justice, is feeling extremely optimistic about the panel's pending decision. I think the public sees this and recognize that this is just a total abuse of people's constitutional rights. You can't just take $86 million in cash from the boxes and a bunch of jewelry and gold bars and coins and silver and other valuables and say that, uh, you know, it's a forfeiture. That's it. As many boxes as we want, we can seize them. Makes you a little bit uh, nervous. The U.S. Department of Justice and their civil judicial forfeiture is a court proceeding brought against property that was derived from or used to commit an offense rather than against a person who committed an offense. So unlike criminal forfeiture, there's no criminal conviction required. Does that sound okay to you? These aren't fugitives and terrorists whose boxes they went into. These were American citizens. And apparently the government has raked in more than $45 billion in revenue in just a nine-year period thanks to this forfeiture. Just uh, watch your stuff. Keep your eyes out. Then I saw a crazy story that Keanu Reeves, they broke into his Hollywood home and stole his gun. Good thing he reported it. Well, that does it for me this week. I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here on Monday at 3 o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And uh, God bless you. you know, it's more important than ever to have faith. Heard some great testimonies this week. God bless you, God bless Israel, and God bless the United States of America. See you all on Monday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.